Up Chapel family, it is good to see you in the house of God today. Also want to encourage those online. Uh, every week we have tons of people join us online. We actually have people in China, so I want to say hi to them because that's a big deal to be in the nation of China. Say hi to them. And everybody else, if you've not followed us on social media or subscribe to our YouTube channel, make sure you do that. There's tons of content, worship music, all types of stuff on there just to encourage you. Uh, like you said, a lot of good stuff going on with Adopt-A-Kid, Adopt-A-Block, uh, Champions Night next Sunday, and Baptism Sunday next Sunday is going to be an incredible, incredible Sunday as we celebrate the gospel through baptism. So I'm going to talk about that today. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3 and Romans 6. Uh, so we'll start in Romans 6. And so baptism is something that is, is pivotal and foundational to the Christian faith. And I didn't grow up in church. Um, I, I saw some baptisms in church. I got baptized with my dad when I was six, but we never really went to church and when I got in ministry, the first baptism I saw was a guy named Tommy. And Tommy had been a, a pretty big deal in country music during the Billy Ray Cyrus days. And so when I say those days, this is like 2006, seven ish but he was still living in the Billy Ray Cyrus days. He had the mullet, he had the whole nine. But he had an injury where he was now in a wheelchair and would be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. But Tommy had, had come to Jesus and wanted to get baptized. So the problem with that is he's in a wheelchair, and he was extremely heavy set. And so me and a couple other pastors went to the YMCA in town to baptize Tommy. And so the YMCA had this kind of like a crane type thing in order to lower people who are handicapped down into the water so they could get used to using their muscles. So we were trying to use that, that device, but Tommy was so heavy the device was actually breaking. And so me and two other pastors, or I was watching, I was a witness, these two other pastors were trying to hold up Tommy in the water and try to baptize him. They're scared to death, and he was having the time of his life. Like the dude from the YMCA is looking at his crane break, and we're just like, holy cow, what's going to happen? And Tommy is like praising Jesus and excited, and they get him under. They somehow get him back up, and we get him back out and get him dried off. And I just never forget the like amazement in his eyes of somebody that could have found a thousand excuses of, you know what, maybe I should just be sprinkled, or maybe, you know, I was baptized as a kid, maybe I shouldn't get baptized. No, no, he wanted to get baptized. And the more and more I study church history, and right now as I'm studying the church in Iran in the Middle East, it's the same thing. Like, you can't talk people out of getting baptized in the Middle East. There was one particular situation where many times in the Middle East, even in North Africa, where if you read your Bible, that's fine. If you go to church, that's fine. If they see you talking to pastors or Christians, that's fine. Like, these are Muslim nations, Sudan and, and Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, those are all fine. But if you dare get baptized, then that's when the persecution begins. And one of the reasons for that is even in Muslim culture, they view baptism as the entry point of leaving one community and joining the kingdom of God. They look at it as a line in the sand in which stops one thing and begins a new thing. And it's so powerful. That even amidst persecution, even amidst losing their jobs and careers and families and life, that they're literally saying, I want to be baptized. One story which was so amazing was there was 38 people in Iran who had traveled to get baptized. And they were lined up waiting to get in the baptistry, but the pastor didn't show up. And so they got word that the pastor didn't show up because the pastor had been killed for his faith. And they told all 38 of these believers, they said, listen, your pastor is not going to be here. I'll baptize you, but your pastor is not going to be here. He just got killed for his faith, which may be what happens to you once you get baptized. 
And every single one of the 38 continued to be baptized. It reminded me of the story of Cortez when he, when he came to Mexico in the 1514, 1519 time frame where he came. And as he brought his conquistadors onto the, the shores of Mexico, he burned the ships. He said, we're entering into a new world. There is no turning back at this point. And he burned the ships as a symbol, as an illustration to all his people. Listen, we either succeed or we die, but we're not going back. In many ways, I believe baptism is supposed to be that line in the sand where we come into the new world. As Cortez explained it, a new world, and we burn the past, we burn our shame, we burn our guilt, we burn our past lifestyle, we burn our association with culture, we burn our association with the world, and we join a new kingdom and a new world to burn the things behind because there is no turning back. I think one of the problems in church world today is that we have a soft baptism where we keep one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, and we enjoy it. We want inward transformation, but with no outward obedience. What that means is I want the forgiveness of Jesus. I want the peace of Jesus. I want the love of Jesus. I want the hope of Jesus. But I don't want to externally commit myself to Jesus. I don't want to be persecuted for Jesus. I don't want to be isolated because of Jesus. I don't want to be, be stand out because of Jesus. Either you'll stand in with Jesus and out of the world or you'll stand in the world and out with Jesus. And that's what baptism is all about. And so Romans chapter 6, it says this. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Everybody say death. Baptized into his death, which is the whole burning of the ships. Like there's no turning back. Like we're, we're not going. Something is dying in baptism. It's not just new life. Something has to die for something to be born again. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The only way to have new life is to kill off the old life. And I think with baptism, when you really get down to the doctrine of baptism, it's about celebrating the death of something so you can celebrate the newness of something. And until we start celebrating the death of something, we can't really experience the newness of something. Meaning this, that baptism is this chance to say, I am declaring my allegiance to the kingdom of heaven which means I'm renouncing my allegiance to myself, even to America, even to my past life, even to your family, that all this stuff goes away because I'm committing and aligning my life and declaring my allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. He is my king. He is my Lord. And I'm publicly professing it, meaning you can have private faith, but your walk with Jesus is public. And baptism is what makes you go from private to public, and there's no such thing as a private Christian. No matter if you're in America, Iran, China, Iraq, or anywhere else. And so I think for us as believers, if we're going to walk out baptism, we have to get rid of the tradition of baptism is a family tradition to walk into our southern culture. And move it to, this is a biblical tradition and symbolism to die to that southern culture, to be resurrected into the kingdom of heaven. Like the tradition sometimes can take you away from the meaning. So, so what is baptism? Baptism by Watchman Nee, one of my favorite authors, says, baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. Meaning that I can't explain to you 
how I feel on the inside. I can't explain to you that my spirit has been made new. I can't explain to you that my spirit is now clean, that now I'm innocent, now I'm pure, now I'm washed on the inside. I can't explain to you that I've gone from death to life. I can't explain it to you, but I can show you. And so baptism is nothing more than but trying to show people on the outside what God has done on the inside. And when you read the Bible, you'll see that God normally has something externally that uses the five senses to demonstrate or teach something that happens internally. When you walked in the tabernacle, it used all five senses, smell, taste, hearing, visuals, touch, everything. Communion is a way to say that we're in Christ and he's in us. So we'll eat the bread, we'll feel it, him going down in us, like you feel it. And baptism is the same way that I can't explain to you, but I can show you by dying in this grave and coming up new. Like that's, that's the importance of baptism. And for some of us, we need that reminder that I have been made new. This is what one author said about baptism. Baptism is the outward act that symbolizes the inward transformation of coming to and accepting Jesus Christ as real, as God incarnate, as a sacrificial means by which those who believe in him can be forever reconciled to God. The purpose of baptism is to give visual testimony of our commitment to Christ. It is the first step of discipleship. What that means is it doesn't matter what you post on social media. That does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you publicly declare, you can watch my life because I'm following Jesus. What makes you a Christian is when your life and your words begin to line up and you can say, follow me as I follow the Lord. And baptism is where that begins. And the life of, that you live determines how you started and how you finish. And so it's a symbolic act of saying, I'm beginning to follow Jesus. One person also said baptism is a demonstration of devotion. Many, I, I've many times equated baptism as a wedding ceremony that you get married anywhere you want to. You can get married at the courthouse. You can get married at, in front of Elvis in Las Vegas. You can get married by Mickey Mouse in Disney World. You can get married anywhere. But a lot of times you want your friends and family to be around to witness your devotion. You want them to see how much you love this man or how much you love this woman. And so you want to share. You want the whole world to know, I love you enough. I'm going to give myself to you. And baptism is a, is a declaration or demonstration devotion where you say, I want the whole world to know that Jesus gave himself to me and I'm going to give myself to Jesus. And I want the whole world to know as witnesses to see this love. And another person said, it's almost like the, the wedding ring. If you got married, you have a wedding ring. The wedding ring doesn't make you married, but it is a symbol to show that you've devoted yourself to somebody else. And so many times baptism is not what saves you, but it is a demonstration of devotion to show the world that you've devoted your life and your heart and your love to somebody else. Kind of reminds, reminded me when I was thinking about this was when I proposed to Toya. Uh, about two weeks after I proposed to Toya, she kept her hand in her pocket every time I talked to her. I was like, hey, like, why... Like, why is your hand in your pocket? No, I'm just a broke little airman in the Air Force, no money. I spent all my money and got all the debt I could to buy this engagement ring. And I asked her, I said, won't you take your hand out of your pocket? No. Like, like, take your hand. No. Finally takes it out. There's no ring. Because somebody lost their engagement ring after two weeks. It's been a rocky road ever since. Because that's a, a symbol of devotion. 
right? And we've got another ring since then. And she cherishes that ring. She takes care of that ring because it's a symbol of devotion. Like if you don't wear the ring, people don't know that you're devoted to somebody else. And so baptism is this demonstration of devotion in which the world knows that you're devoted yourself to following Jesus. Keeps on it symbolizes the number of significant spiritual realities. It signifies Christ's death and resurrection. I mean, he died and he rose again. And our union with Christ, I meaning we're part of his death and his resurrection, but also our new life in which we now get to walk, that the past is gone, we get a new life, and our spiritual cleansing and washing away of sin. But what is the method of baptism? So this is where it gets sticky in Bible Belt Southern culture. Some people say, well, I was sprinkled as a kid. Or I was christened in the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church or the Episcopalian Church. Or, you know, maybe I got baptized as a kid, but I don't really remember it. Well, there's a couple of things with that. Baptism, and this says, the method of baptism is immersion in water. The biblical method of baptism is by immersion, placing a person under the water and hopefully bringing them back out of the water. And why that's important is this. One, every single person in the Bible that made a decision to follow Jesus got water baptized. Except for the thief on the cross, every single one of them made a decision, not out of fear, but out of faith, to follow Jesus in water baptism. And they all did it by immersion. And the reason that's important is because the word immersion in the Greek, or, or the Greek word for baptism is immersion, baptisma, which means immersion, which there is another word for sprinkling, which is not even close to the word baptismo. And so you could equate it like if you have two kids playing in the pool and they start dunking one another. I'm going to dunk you and I'm going to dunk you under the water. I'm going to, I'm going to dunk you and they start trying to dunk each other under the water. If they were Greek, they would say, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to baptize you. There's a whole other word for saying, I'm going to sprinkle you. I'm going to sprinkle you. I'm going to sprinkle you. And why that's important is because immersion symbolizes you going under the dirt and dying to yourself. And it symbolizes you coming out of the dirt, washed and cleansed and made new in Christ. The method has meaning. When you change the method, you change the meaning. And the meaning is vitally important, not to God, but to you to know that you've been washed and cleansed and made new. Like I believe in this so much that I remember one time we were baptizing somebody at one of our campuses, and we had this coffin-like baptism. You remember this, babe? This coffin, we sat on the, I had this creative idea. We're going to borrow this baptistry from the Baptist church. We're going to have the first baptism. This campus had never had baptisms. We baptized like 18 people on one Sunday morning in a campus that had like 200 people. And it was like incredible. But I remember there's one woman, we, we set this baptistry up. And they kind of sit down in it, and they lean back, and they, the water kind of comes around them, and you lift them up. But this one woman kept her arm out. So I'm like trying to push her arm back in. And they're like, why are you trying to put? I was like, I can't have her going to heaven with only one arm. Like, it has to go. Like, the method is important. Because if you're just sprinkled, you'll think you were sprinkled with grace. But when you're immersed, you'll know you were immersed in the grace of God. For some of you, maybe you got sprinkled or maybe you got baptized as a kid and you don't remember it. Maybe there was no... See, baptism begins a trajectory of your life of being committed to following Jesus. It's not a moment in life where it's a family tradition where everyone comes and watches you get baptized so the family feels better. See, a lot of our traditions are based in the wrong theology. 
And when you think about the sprinkling of, of kids, the christening of kids, it was because they believed baptism saved people. And if babies were dying early during the Black Plague, all that, they wanted to baptize babies early to set them up for eternity for the rest of their life. We know that baptism doesn't save you. People say, well, no, I, I come from Church of Christ. You know, baptism saves you. No, no, I've seen plenty of people that faked baptism. There was zero commitment to Jesus. They got baptized to appease a family member or a spouse they're trying to reconcile with. But there was no following Jesus. I've heard people say, well, you know, that Pentecostal stuff like tongues and falling on the floor. Just people fake that. Yeah, people fake falling out. People fake tongues. People fake prophecies. People fake baptism. People fake salvation. But I'm not going to get rid of baptism salvation because people fake it. What that tells me is some of it's real. Then you just have crazy people. Like baptism, the method of immersion, as you go under the water, it reminds you that you're dying to self. And as you come up and you're wet and you're washed, it reminds you that Jesus and Jesus alone has made you clean from every sin and all the shame in your life. There's two misconceptions of baptism, especially in the South. And it is that some think that baptism does not save us, therefore it's not important. Which they just think it's an ordinance, just an act you just go through. You know, if you want to get baptized, that's fine. But it, it doesn't save you, therefore it's not that important. And others believe that if you don't get baptized, then you can't go to heaven. Like that's the two extremes in a church where we love extremes. So one extreme is, well, you know, baptism is just a symbol. It's just an illustration. It's not that big of a deal. I don't really need to get baptized. What they're really saying is, I want Jesus to forgive me, but I don't want people to know. Then you have another extreme where if you don't get baptized, the moment you're saved and you die, you're going to hell. Those extremes are crazy. Neither of those are true. While baptism is not necessary to salvation, it is necessary to obedience. And obedience is necessary to joy, growth, and fruitfulness in the Christian life. And I think one of the reasons that many Christians walk in a lukewarm walk is either they got baptized too early and they never remember the experience, or they haven't been baptized at all and they've never drawn that line in the sand and burned the ships. Until you burn the ships of culture and the world, you're never going to truly follow Jesus. Jesus even said, hey, you want to go bury your dead? Bury your dead, but you're not worthy to follow me. Oh, you want to go, you want to go say bye to your parents and bye to your kids? That's great, but you can't follow me. What he was saying was there's a line of demarcation that to follow Jesus, you can't follow anything or anyone else. And baptism is what begins that journey. And so I want to encourage you that even though you, you may not know everything about baptism, this obedience is key to your walk with Jesus. And the preparation in the New Testament church was powerful. I've said this before that they would only baptize once a year in many of the churches. And that once a year was on Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And they'd have, it was incredible, they would have, they call them neophytes. And neophytes are people that had been saved, but they were preparing for baptism. The week of their baptism, they begin to wash themselves and cleanse themselves and bathe themselves. But then three days before, the Friday, Saturday, before Easter Sunday, they would fast food, drink, and drink nothing but water, preparing spiritually for baptism. The person who was going to baptize them would fast for those same three days. And what they would do is they prepare for this moment of obedience for Jesus. I think the preparation is just as vital as the act of baptism. Because baptism has been around a long time. They baptized people in the Old Testament. 
That's how if you were a Gentile and you wanted to be in the, in the kingdom of Israel, if you wanted to be a Jew, you had to be baptized to be washed to become part of that culture. And so baptism has been around. Baptism can't save you, but it is an act of declaring your righteousness based on Jesus and not yourself. And so real quick, I want to give you three reasons why I think baptism has power. One is this. Why, why should baptism matter to you? And this, this is not just for people getting baptized. This is for everybody. One is power of obedience. Power of obedience. In the kingdom of heaven, there's power in obedience. Baptism is following in the exact footsteps of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus, the first thing he did was he got water baptized. Before he started his ministry, he got water baptized. Before he was tempted in the wilderness, he got baptized. Why is that important? It's because your power doesn't come from wanting to do better. Your power comes from obeying what God has called you to do. And the power changes everything. Like there's power. When you realize that every single believer on the face of the planet, since the beginning of Jesus' ministry till now, every single believer has taken that first footstep in the exact same footstep of Jesus. There's power in that. There's connection in that. It's one of the only things that connects every believer in the world together. That when you get baptized, you're connected to believers in China, in Russia, in Iran, in Haiti, in Cuba, in Mexico, in Canada, and yes, even in Coleman, Alabama. It connects everybody together. And I think one of the things that happens when, when you don't take baptism seriously, you take the footsteps of your mom or you take the footsteps of your dad. But baptism is supposed to be you taking the, the first step of walking in Jesus' footsteps. Because I think what happens is your first step, or how you begin something, determines how something ends. And so when you take the first step of obedience, it usually means you'll live a lifestyle of obedience. But if you take a first step of tradition, you usually maintain traditions. And I promise you, the power is in walking in the footsteps of Jesus. That if I'm walking in the footsteps of Jesus... That is Jesus' perfect will. And when I'm walking in his perfect will, I get his perfect blessings. Now, those may take me to baptism, may take me to persecution, may take me to suffering, may take me to, to being hated by the world but loved by God. It may take you different places. But as you walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you walk in the power of Jesus because the power is in obedience. And it looks like this. When you walk in disobedience, you activate the power of the enemy in your life. When you walk in disobedience, you open doors to evil influences in your life. Which means when you get involved in, in witchcraft or new age or horoscopes, I feel like an old school 80s preacher right now. Like when you get involved in that stuff, even bitterness and unforgiveness, when you get involved in some of those things, it will open up doors to those things in your life. When you walk in disobedience, it opens up doors for the enemy to influence you further away from God. And so disobedience has a power to it for the enemy. But in the same way, obedience has a power to God. That when you walk in obedience, it closes doors of the enemy in your life. When you walk in obedience, it opens up the windows of heaven in your life. When you walk in obedience, it opens up God's blessings in your life. And so baptism is this front door to beginning to walk in the blessings and promises of obedience in your life. It's powerful. It's super powerful, and so many times we lose sight of the power of obedience. Max Lucado said, baptism is the initial step of a faithful heart. But number two, power of identity. Baptism reminds me that I've been made new in Jesus. 
So it reminds me that I've been made new in Jesus, that the baptism didn't make me new, but it reminds me that now I'm clean, now I'm whole, now I'm innocent, now I'm pure, now I'm perfect in Jesus, now I'm righteous in Jesus, now the Father sees me as he sees Jesus. And it says this in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. He's a new creation. Not a fixed up version of yourself, not a clean, cleaned up version of yourself, but a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Baptism is the only way we can express that in the physical. What that means is the gospel is not a gospel of forgiveness. It's a gospel of transformation. And many times when you think the gospel is a gospel of forgiveness, you think that, well, you know, I, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, you know, I'm just, you know, everybody, nobody's perfect. We all mess up. You know, you know, I, you know none of us can do right all the time. No, 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 no. You know what those are? Excuses for not following Jesus. The whole, uh, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. What that really means is I'm going to live my life how I want to, but when I feel bad about it, I'll ask God to forgive me. That's not the gospel. That is appeasing a guilty conscience. What this scripture says is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Meaning you're not a fixed up version of your old self. You've been given a new life, a new purpose, new gifts, a new family, a new spiritual DNA. Like your father, your parenthood has changed from Adam being your father to Jesus being your father. You're no longer, your earthly father is no longer your spiritual father. Now God is your spiritual father. You have spiritual DNA. Your DNA has changed. And so what that means is so many people think, well, you know, I'm just, well, if you want to equate it to cars, well, I'm just an old Pinto. I'm just an old Pinto. I got rust on the side. My, I got one flat tire. You know, I run out of gas. I got a, a brake line that's messed up. The seats are torn and tattered. But you know, I got some sheepskin covers on it. It, feel, it looks good. And you come to church, you think your life is like that. So you view yourself through this lens of an old, beaten, battered, worthless vehicle. You come to church, you think the gospel is just a new paint job. That if I can just get a new paint job, I'll feel better about driving my life. I'll feel better about driving my vehicle. I'll feel better about people seeing me. I'll feel better about who I am. Even though on the inside, it still runs like a pinto. Even on the inside, it still has torn and battered seats. Even on the inside, the CD player, the tape player, the 8-track still doesn't work. But you feel better because you put paint on the outside. See, that's, that's the form of the gospel that's a gospel forgiveness. It's all image-based and brand-based. But this says that Jesus takes your pinto of a life, takes it to the junkyard, and destroys it through death, and then gives you a brand new vehicle. A vehicle that does not need repaired, a vehicle that does not need to be changed, a vehicle that is brand new that you can be proud of, that has a new engine, a new heart, a new soul, a new spirit, and new gasoline, new fuel to fuel you from point A to point B. See, the gospel is not a gospel of forgiveness. If you believe that, you'll continually come to God for forgiveness, but you'll never come to him for transformation. And Jesus did not die for you to be forgiven. He died so you could be made new. And baptism reminds you of that. It reminds you that when you go into the water, I'm leaving behind. For me, I don't know about you, but I've got some issues in my family. When I say issues, my family tree is an issue. 
And so when I went under the water, you know what I left? I left the heritage of my dad. I left the heritage of my mom. I left the heritage of my grandparents. I left their generational curses. I left their identity. I left everything. I left my own junk in there, my reputation, my lust, my greed, my selfishness. I left it in the water. When I came out, you don't see the old me. You see the new me. I used to tell people when they say, oh, you know, Bobby, I know the old. I know, I know you. No, 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 bro. You know the old me. The old me is past and gone. This is the new me. Baptism reminds you that you don't have to fix up your old life. You don't have to change anything in your old life. He gives you a new, new life to steward and honor him with. And what you do with that new life determines if you're going to honor him or honor yourself. One person said it this way. He said, in baptism, I bury, I wash away my sandcastle so he can build his kingdom in my life. What that means is we all build up these little sandcastles. They're sandcastles. Like you, no matter what you do, it fails in comparison to Jesus and his kingdom. You can build your business. You can build your identity. You can build your reputation. You can build your own kingdom. You can build your own good works. You can build all that. But in baptism, you wash that away. And you wash the sand away to reveal the rock of Jesus Christ. And you say, now you can build your kingdom in my life. God can't build until we tear down. And when you tear down your old life, you let it die, it can be born again. And baptism reveals that and shows us that. But number three, power of my testimony. Baptism preaches the gospel in a real way to others and myself. And, and why that's important is this. We live in a day and age, I'm, re I'm reading a book right now on on some of, the art, some of the arguments against Christian faith from the science community and stuff like that. And what you're seeing is more and more people are believing stuff that's not true just because people that have doctor in front of their name say it. And I think we see that all across culture. But one of the things that happens is if I preach the Bible, people will leave here, skeptics can leave here, seekers can leave here and say, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, I understand that book's so old, though, I don't really, I don't really get it. Well, you know, I grew up a Christian. I just don't think it's all that true. And, you know, I know what that pastor said, but I just don't, I don't know if I believe that. Well, miracles, you know, I know miracles happen in the Bible, maybe, but I, miracles just don't happen today. And, and so what happens is people are looking for a real-life experience of the gospel. And the most vital place to get that is in the testimony of somebody who's went from death to life. Like, people can argue doctrine, they can argue theology, they can argue the Bible, they can argue the church, they can argue Christianity, they can argue predestination, free will, they can argue gifts of the Spirit or cessationism, they can argue Calvinism or Arminianism, they can argue all these things, but you know what they can't argue with? Your story. They can't argue with your story. We were talking about my pastor, Pastor Maury Davis, shared his testimony here a couple years ago. He shared at The Rock last year. I was having lunch with him and Dr. R.T. Kendall. This is a couple years ago. Dr. Kendall grabs his son T.R.'s hand. He says, this man's story is one of the greatest stories of the gospel and the grace of Jesus in all the world. And I thought, man, I, I've heard it so many times that like I've kind of gotten accustomed to it. I've heard it so many times that it just kind of became like, just normal. And here, R.T. Kendall, who preaches all over the world, saying this is one of the great stories that if they were still writing the Bible, his story would be part of the Bible. 
And Pastor's story is one, it's so incredibly profound that you have a young man who's on drugs, who commits a murder, who gets saved in prison. God speaks to him and tells him he's only going to serve eight years. Everyone tells him he's crazy. At the eight-year mark, the penitentiary's overcrowded. They do a lottery. He gets out in exactly eight years. Then to go to be a janitor at a church, then a youth pastor who committed murder, then to an evangelist, then to a pastor. And you see this man who looks nothing like the previous version of himself. You cannot argue with that. You can't argue with my story. You can't argue with your story. And so the power of testimony is profound because even in Revelation, towards you, when you get towards the end times, it says this, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. It, what I take from that is, as we get closer and closer to the end times, people stop believing the Bible. When I talk about people, the culture, and they start listening to the words of the testimonies. Which means your testimony will have more and more power as we get closer to the return of Jesus. People will question the Bible, but they're not going to question your story. Your testimony has power to set other people free. Your story has power to help other people build their faith, to be healed, to see miracles, to conceive babies, to see their kids saved, to see themselves saved. Your testimony has power. Not just for other people but for you. Sometimes you don't need to preach to other people. Sometimes you need to preach to yourself. And when I see other people get baptized, you know, I think sometimes in church world, you know, other people get baptized. Oh, that's great. Yeah, good job. Like we, we go through the motions. We're celebrating with them. Yeah, all heaven, all heaven rejoices. Yeah, yeah. When I see baptisms, you know what I see? I see myself. And I see Bobby who came from absolutely brokenness to life. And when I see testimonies of other people, when I see other people baptized, it reminds me I do not deserve to be here. It reminds me that I am not worthy to be in this pulpit. It reminds me that God has been more than good to me. It reminds me of the grace of Jesus. If he had grace for me then, he has grace for me now. If he loved me then, he can love me now. See, sometimes the testimony is not for others. Sometimes it's for yourself. And there's power in that. There's power in what it communicates. That I'm willing, just like in a wedding, when you go to a wedding, it seems like this year we've been at a wedding every weekend. We've watched like 16 Heinkels get married this year, I think. We watched Abe Heinkel get married. Every person walked down the aisle, Abe is crying. <laughs> then Haley walks up, <laughs> he's like falling down. I'm like, babe, I love you. I, I don't have that in me. Then Ben Heinkel gets married. He's, <laughs> he's crying. And I'm like, holy cow, like Heinkel's just love. I don't, and so, but you know what it did? It stirred in me. It stirred in me the testimony of the love for each other and their family. The testimony of the love for their spouse stirred in me my love for my wife. That's the power of testimony. That a testimony stirs someone else to say, if God can do it for them, he can do it for me. There's power in that. There's power of obedience. There's power of identity that you have to know who you are and who you are not. And baptism reminds you that when people bring up your past, that is not who I am. 
I've been made new in Jesus, in the power of testimony. And here's why. We say it here, we've said it for years. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I was, but God, I am. I was broken. I was deceived. I was an addict. I was greedy. I was lost. I was addicted. I was whatever your was, was, I was this, but God, rich in mercy. Then he says, I am. Now I am the righteousness of Christ. I am set apart and chosen. I am the priesthood of the believer. I am this. I am. See, when you see the testimony, it reminds you that I used to be, but God is rich in mercy. Now I am. There's power in that. Not just power for you, but power for other people. And I I believe if we're going to see the move of God that God wants to to, to start not just here, but all throughout the shoals and all over the world. It's going to start not with preaching, but with testimonies. That in your marketplace, in your office, in your classroom, in your school, the testimonies of the power of grace, and the power of God, are what provoke people to divine holy jealousy. One story, I'm about to close. One story I read. There's a little girl named Miriam who is about 15 years old. There's some Baptist missionaries in, they won't say which country, but it's Iran. They're in Iran. They built a relationship with this little girl. She's 15 years old. And over the course of many months, just having her in their home, they become like second parents to her. They'd share the gospel with her, been reading the Bible. She'd gotten saved. But in the Iranian church, they'll make believers wait many, many months to see fruit of salvation before they baptize them. Because they want to baptize somebody who's not a Christian and they can come in and destroy the church from the inside out. And so they're getting close. It was about to be Easter Sunday. They only baptized on Easter. And they're about to baptize her. They built a relationship with her mom named Hira. So they bring in Hira. They're in the kitchen. This, his name is Elliot Clark. Elliot Clark has this letter he'd written to Hira. And he's sitting at the kitchen table. He's sweating. His lungs are heavy. And he has this letter. And he's, he's flipping the letter in his hand in this envelope, just slapping it against the table. Finally, Hira comes out of the kitchen and sits at the table. And he's, he's nervous, he's anxious, and he takes this letter and slides it across the table. He says, I want you to read this. And Miriam had came to them and wanted to get baptized so bad. But as a minor, she didn't have the power to get baptized on her own. So Elliot and his wife wrote a letter to Hira, Miriam's mom, and asked for her parental approval in signing over temporary parental rights to Elliot and his wife so they could actually baptize Miriam. Hira is somebody who did not, was not convinced of the gospel, did not believe in the gospel. She appreciated the, the love Elliot and his wife had for her daughter. And she looks at that letter, and she looks over the letter, and she signs her name at the bottom of the letter. She pushes it back over. Two days later, she's there at the baptism of her 15-year-old girl. There's power in that. There's power in that. The power is not in, tr- in the tradition. The power is in the obedience. And to close, this is from Alpha. Alpha is an incredible ministry as you do years ago, started in England. But they use this illustration every single one of the youth alphas. And if you look at it, you have all these people here. You have uh, the one guy posing in the mirror looks kind of like myself. You have the one guy reading the newspaper, another guy working at his desk, another guy mopping, uh, these ladies over here talking. You have this guy dipping his foot in the pool. You have this, this person at the shallow end. You have this person at the deep end. This person about to jump in. This person has a scuba gear on. And what they'll say is, where are you at? 
If the water is the grace of Jesus Christ, where are you at? Are you preoccupied with work? And maybe you'll, you'll give your life to Jesus and go all in at some point later on. We, we talk about this with, with young people. They turn away from the church when they're 18 and they want to live in the world. You know, maybe when they turn 30, their kids are young, maybe they'll come back then. Maybe you're caught up in all the news and social media that you're preoccupied with Fox News and CNN and this and that, that you're not paying attention. Maybe you're in the shallow end and you're just enjoying, you know, just coming to church being encouraged, being inspired, but you're not quite ready to go deep with Jesus yet. Maybe you're so focused on your looks and your, your vanity that you can't even pay attention to Jesus. Maybe you're so caught up in your relationships that you're not paying attention. Or maybe you're like the scuba guy where you want Jesus, but you have all these precautions that I, I'll give Jesus my life, but if this happens, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, I'll give Jesus my life, but I'm not going to give him my finances. I'm going to give Jesus my life, but I'm not going to give him my identity. I'm going to give, and see, so many do that, people do that. We see this a lot of times with the homosexual agenda where I'm going to give, I, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but my identity and my sexuality is my safety net. It is my scuba gear. It's how I survive. It's how I breathe. Maybe you're holding on to something. Or maybe you're this guy on the diving board. Where's the time to take the plunge? Not into baptism, but into Jesus. Baptism is the line in the sand that separates those who are following Jesus from those who are just following themselves. And my encouragement for you is this. My encouragement is this. To quit playing church and go all in with Jesus. And experience the power of obedience. Experience the power of identity. And experience the power of testimony. And watch God use your life in ways you could never, ever, ever plan on your own. Well, Pastor, how can you say that? I'm a living example. Like no one 20 years ago would ever have guessed I'd be where I am today. But all it was was a yes to Jesus and beginning to walk in the power of obedience, the power of a new identity, and letting the power of my testimony change me and the ones around me. And so this is my challenge. This isn't even a salvation challenge. This is a challenge beyond salvation. I think we've done, we've done the hand raising enough. This is for you. If you said it's time for me to go all in with Jesus. Maybe you got baptized when you were younger. Maybe you got baptized when you were christened when you were a child. Maybe you don't remember it. Today's the day or next week is the time you walk in the power of obedience. Maybe you need that moment to say I'm stepping across. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going back. Now going back to the old sins, that old world is done. I'm walking in a new world in a new me. I'm walking in the 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is me. Maybe you text that word. Baptism is that number. Maybe for some of you, maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you come to church, you watch, and you leave. Maybe you've gone through the motions, but you've never made that commitment to Jesus. Maybe that's for you. Maybe God is calling you from the edge of the water, from the tippy toe, into the water. That is my encouragement for you. That you can walk in the power of obedience. Power of identity and the power of testimony and see what God will do with your life. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. I just want to encourage you that I know this is a lot different. This is more teaching than I normally do. But I believe baptism 
is about to be a huge, huge deal in the church. I believe it's one of the ways God is going to separate cultural Christians and authentic Christians. I believe God's actually going to use baptism as a way to communicate the gospel to families, prodigal sons, prodigal daughters. But I believe above above all that God is going to use baptism to refine his people, to remind them that it's not a church you're joining. It's a death and a resurrection you're joining. You're joining in the death of Jesus. And as you die in him, your sins and your shame and your guilt and your past and your fears and your anxieties all die with him. And as you resurrect, you resurrect carrying the yoke of Jesus, which is light and easy, with a new hope and a new purpose. Holy Spirit, I pray these next few days that you begin to encourage your people. Father, I pray for those that are sitting on the edges of the waters of grace, that you call them into the waters. Father, those who have precautions and safety nets, Father, I pray that you let them leave their nets behind them and chase and follow after you. Father, I pray for a church that is passionately pursuing you and following in your footsteps. And Father, I just pray for us that we can keep our hearts in tune with you and be obedient and to honor you with the new lives you've given us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.